Friends, if someone looked at First United Methodist Church, at all that we do, all of our activities, all the ways that we spend our money, would they see that we are on a mission from God? Or would they see us mostly concerned about our own needs and our own interests? Are we more like a cruise ship? Or are we more like a battleship? Are we fulfilling the mission that God has given us? You know, last week we uh, discovered that one of the primary missions God has given the church is to get out beyond the church walls and to engage the community in order to make disciples for Christ. And we discovered that we could be doing a better job at that uh, than what we're doing. And when we look at Paul's words today, I think we find two things that Paul tells us on how we can begin to engage the community around us. Now, the first one is often overlooked, but it may be the most important. It doesn't cost a thing, and everyone can do it. And that is, he begins by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. No, Francis Chan uh, says a church that is devoted to prayer is a church that knows God's mission is the most important pursuit on earth. Are we devoted to prayer? Are are we devoted uh, to praying uh, for those that don't yet know Jesus. You know, if you look it up in the dictionary, uh, the word devoted means uh, to give yourself completely to. Do we give ourselves to praying for those who are on our most wanted list? No, do we pray that those on the outside might come inside? In fact, have you ever considered that perhaps the most important thing in bringing those in the community into the church is not how great our facility is. It's not how great the preaching is. It's not how great the programs are. Could it be that the thing that will be most effective in bringing people to Christ will be our prayers? You know, have you filled out a most wanted list? If you haven't done so yet, uh, there are some in the lobby, and I would encourage you to fill it out with up to 10 names of people that you need to know Jesus and know that the church prays for those individuals. Because that's one of the most important things that we can do. You know, earlier this year, uh, we looked at life in the early church. And one of the things that was uh, true of the early church is they were devoted to prayer. It says there that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And look what happened. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Remember last week I asked you to stand if you were saved in our congregation in the last year 
or the last two years or the last three years. Friends, we had one person stand up out of all three services. You know, the early church had people added daily. Could it be because they were devoted to prayer? To pray for those who don't yet know Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today, as we think about engaging the community, the first thing you can do is pray for them. Don't give up praying. Particularly you, you moms and dads who are praying for prodigal sons and daughters and grandchildren. Don't give up praying. Devote yourselves to prayer. Remember that old hymn, Tell Mother I'll Be There? Charles Fillmore wrote that many, many years ago. Uh, but here, he said in one of the verses, When I became a prodigal and left the old roof tree... She almost broke her loving heart in mourning after me. And day and night she prayed to God to keep me in his care. Oh, Savior, tell my mother I'll be there. Tell mother I'll be there in answer to her prayer. This message, blessed Savior, to her bear. Tell mother I'll be there. Heaven's joys with her to share. Yes, tell my darling mother. I'll be there. Friends, don't give up praying. It may be you've prayed for someone to come to Christ for 20, 30 years. You may be praying for your husband. You may be praying for your wife. But don't give up praying. It's the first and most important thing you can do uh, to engage with those outside of the church. Now, notice that uh, Paul... Uh, he said to pray specifically for open doors. He says, and pray for us also that God may open a door for our message. You know, Paul's entire evangelism strategy can be summed up in four words. Pray for open doors. Notice that when Paul writes to the church, he doesn't ask first for funds to continue his ministry. He doesn't ask for evangelism materials. What he asks for is if you will pray that God will open doors so that the message can go out. And so the church joined with Paul and they prayed for open doors. And guess what happened? God opened doors. Again, you can read it Uh, there in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord opened a door for me. He says in 2 Corinthians, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Paul's strategy was Pray God would open a door, and when he opens it, then you walk through it. Friends, that's the strategy that we need to have if we're going to engage the community to pray that God would open doors for the message. What if you prayed every every week? God, would you open a door so that I could be active in sharing my faith this week? And who knows what kind of doors God would open. 
You can pray for those on your most wanted list. God, would you open a door so that someone would come to them and share the gospel with them? God wants to open doors for his word. Sometimes he's just waiting for us to ask him to open it. You know, one of the great open doors that we have as a church right now uh, is Christmas at the Pavilion. Do you realize there are many communities that wouldn't even consider having a church come and be part of their festival? And our community of Marysville has welcomed our church with open arms to come to the uh, pavilion at Christmas time and set up a live nativity and to share the gospel and to hand out cookies and, and to do crafts and, and to let people know the true meaning of Christmas. What a great open door has opened up for us. And so as our uh, newly launched Engage team prepares that, they'll be asking you to help with that. Because it's an open door to engage our community, and we want to make the the most of that. And so we thank God uh, for open doors uh, that he opens. Now notice that Paul says there in in, uh, 1 Corinthians that a door is opened, but there are many who oppose me. He said that in our text today as well. That when God opens a door, sometimes there'll be opposition. And so he says uh, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul knew there was a cost for him to share the, the gospel, for him to engage the community, and for him that literally meant chains. I mean, you can read about some of his other books. He talks about uh, he is in chains for Christ. In Philemon, he says, I am in chains for the gospel. In Ephesians, he says, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know, we don't have to worry about that today, do we? We can engage our community. We can go out and share our faith. We can be active in sharing our faith. And we don't have to worry about going to prison for it. Now, no, there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world that that's a very real possibility. There are many brothers and sisters that if they had the opportunities that we have to share openly, they would be out every day sharing the gospel. But some of them have to face prison. You know, the greatest opposition we would have is somebody might make fun of us. Somebody somebody might ridicule us. Somebody might disagree with us and maybe they would get, get a little agitated with us if we share our faith. That's really the greatest opposition we have, isn't it? And so let's pray that God would open doors to share the gospel. And then Paul said, and also I want you to pray specifically that there might be a clear proclamation. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, why do you think Paul would ask for that? Didn't Paul know the gospel well enough? I mean, why would he be afraid that the gospel message wouldn't be clear? Well, I think it's because Paul 
was a Jewish rabbi. Uh, And he was preaching mainly to Gentiles. And a Gentile was anyone who wasn't a Jew. And he wanted to make sure that when he proclaimed the gospel, it was in a way that the Gentile could understand. He didn't want to be caught using Jewish terminology that only Jews understood, but he wanted to make sure that the Gentiles understood clearly. You know, it's the same today. Do you know when we engage our community today, we are not engaging a Christian community. You know, most uh, people would say that we are in a post-Christian society. That means that the people that we want to engage with don't understand all of our terminology. Do you know that the typical person outside of the church doesn't understand when you use words like redemption or sin or justification or salvation? Uh, They just don't understand that. And we, like Paul, need to proclaim the message clearly. And friends, the sad reality is the world is not getting a clear message from the church. In fact, do you realize that the world does not see the church offering good news? Do you realize that? That what the the world sees when they look at the church is they see uh, a people of hate. They see us for what we're against rather than what we're for. And they see us as being hypocritical and too political. And and what they don't see is a clear proclamation of the gospel that God is a God who loves us and who wants to, to redeem and save us. They're not hearing that. You know, the gospel message is very simple. And it needs to be portrayed that way. And I've shared with you many ways that we can share the gospel, the ABCs and, and others. Here's another simple way to remember the gospel. Four words. Compassion, corruption, cross, and choice. Four C's. This is the gospel in a nutshell. God loves you. But our Corruption, our sin separates us from God's love. So Jesus dies on the cross to restore us to God's love. And our choice is to repent or reject. Friends, that's the gospel in a nutshell. If you can remember those four words, you can share your faith with anyone. Compassion, Corruption, cross, choice. That's what Paul wanted to proclaim. That's why he wanted to engage with those outside of the church. So they could know that good message. And so the first thing that Paul challenges us to do is to pray. But then he says, you need to portray Christ. Uh, He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And the way we act toward those outside of the church will speak volumes about our faith. 
In fact, let me share three unwise ways to uh, act toward outsiders. And the first one is to push your religion on others. You know, people should know that we are people of faith. But nobody wants to have something shoved down their throat. Nobody wants to have religion pushed upon them. And so we have to be careful that that we don't uh, be seen as as, uh, uh, just pushing religion. Because sometimes our zeal for Christ can be unattractive to those on the outside. And here's a good example. I talked to somebody this morning that was at the Ohio State game yesterday. And he said as he was walking into the stadium, there was a a preacher standing on the soapbox uh, just uh, railing against people going into the game and calling them sinners and preaching hellfire. and, uh, uh, And friends, how appealing do you think that made Jesus? You know, Jesus is very appealing and attractive. Jesus is very contagious. And if people can see Jesus in us, they will want to know uh, what it is about us. But friends, how much compassion was coming out of that preacher railing against people going into the Ohio State game? I remember years ago when I saw a street preacher like that and I went to the Lord and prayed about it and God gave me this great insight. And and he said, John 3.16 does not say, for God so hated sin that he sent his only son. It says, for God so loved the world. Now friends, God hates sin. There's no doubt about that. But there is a world of difference between starting the gospel message with God hates sin and God loves sinners. And friends, you'll attract a whole lot more if you begin with the fact that God loves us. That's the whole point of the gospel. Which means a, a second thing that we is unwise is to point out people's sins and failures. Again, that's what that man was doing. Standing there, calling people, going into the ballgame, all types of names, and, and calling out all of their sin. Friends, most of us, when we sin, we know we're sinners. We don't need somebody to tell us uh, and make us feel guilty. You know, we can simply trust that Jesus will deal with people as as they come to him. And if you can come in to the arms of a loving Savior, then, then friends, we can trust that loving Savior will point out people's faults and sins to them. We don't have to do it. That's That's not our place. Our place in engaging the community is simply to love them. To let them know that we love people as they are. And that means they're welcome inside the church as they are. I mean, is that true, church? When the the sign over our door says, uh, an open door. Does that mean everybody is welcome here? Do you know that 
can lead to a pretty messy church. You know, this last uh, Wednesday night when we launched our Engage team, our devotion that night was to read a, a blog by a church consultant named uh, Kerry Noroff. Uh, and he talked about churches that are making disciples are often messy churches. And here's what he said. He said, new Christians can be swayed by powerful personalities. New Christians can still be sexually active outside of marriage. They can have questionable business practices. They can end up in broken families and be too swayed by the culture. They may not know how to conduct themselves in worship. They may doubt core doctrines like the resurrection. Are you willing to have people like that sitting next to you in church? And then he goes on and he says this. I pulled every one of those problems out of 1 Corinthians. And the church in Corinth struggled with every problem listed above. And I think every problem growing churches today struggle with. And the last time I checked, the church in Corinth was an authentic church that Christ loved. The fact that you have these problems may actually be a sign you're making progress with the unchurched. You don't want to leave them there, but when people really start engaging with Christ, tidy categories are hard to come by. In fact, the most morally pure people of the first century, the Pharisees, were the very ones Jesus most often condemned. So friends, where are the sinners seating among us? Where, where are those that are just starting to engage with Christ? Could it be, could it be that we have turned them away by our own attitudes and actions? You know, if somebody comes into church and, they, and they're wearing a hat, and it's maybe their first time in church, dare we tell them they need to take their hat off? You know, if somebody comes to church and they just don't know any, any better how to act in church, dare we tell them that they're not welcome here? Friends, we have to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. And that means making sure that when an outsider comes inside, that we do all we can to make them comfortable. Because in the end, friends, it's really not about us. We're not on a cruise ship. You know, just taking care of our own needs. We're on a mission from God. And so we want to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. And then a third way that we can be unwise is to uh, talk like a Christian, but not walk as a Christian. Again, people will see the way you live and will judge the church by that. And if they see you uh, saying that Christ has transformed you and that Christ has made a new creature out of you and yet you are still living just the way the world always lived, 
then friends, why would they want to come and join? You know, we have to make sure that we walk the talk that we proclaim. You know, it's what Paul or what Peter said to wives is very applicable to all of us uh, when he talked about wives who didn't have believing husbands. And she said, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And friends, he's simply saying, your life ought to portray Christ so clearly that somebody might be won over just by watching you with words never even being used. So again, we have to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. And Paul gives us two uh, concrete suggestions. He says, one, uh, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. And here's the thing, friend, we don't have to create opportunities. If we're willing to pray and ask God to open doors, and we're willing to be active in sharing our faith, then friends, you'll be amazed at the doors that will open. And he just says, make the most of it. When the door begins to open, just walk through it and and make the most of it. Because he even tells us when that door opens, he'll give us the right words to say. If we'll just speak it. And and sometimes the opportunities aren't clear at first. In fact, you know one of the greatest opportunities you have to share your faith and to engage with those outside of the community is when you go through hard times. And as the choir sang this morning, you trust in God even when the waters are not parted. Do you realize that the world that is desperately looking for hope and peace, when they see you in the midst of your suffering, holding on to your faith and maintaining your joy in the Lord, friends, that will create an opportunity that will allow you to speak volumes for Christ. Don't waste your suffering. Make the most of every opportunity. And then he says, make the most of every conversation. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Friends, we live in a world where conversation is typically not full of grace. I mean, isn't it true? Uh, We live in a world and on our Facebook pages and and even face-to-face, we tend to be critical We put others down, we gossip, we slander. It's true, our mouths speak all types of evil. But aren't you attracted to someone who is always encouraging? Aren't you attracted to someone whose lips speak blessing and peace? That's what he means. Let your conversation be full of grace. Let it be full of good things. As Paul says in Ephesians, he says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Friends, if we in the church could just have our conversation full of grace, people would want to know what's different about you. 
And then he says it ought to be seasoned with salt. And again, he's saying we ought to have salty talk. That there ought to be something in the way that we talk uh, that can open up a door or that can, it can allow people uh, to be comfortable talking about faith with us. You know, when you put salt on something, it doesn't overpower it. It seasons it. And in the same way, as I said, but we don't want to overpower people, but our conversation should reflect that we belong to Jesus. You know, if you're a stranger to me and we sit down to talk, we're not going to talk very long before you realize that I'm a man of faith. Because something's going to come out of my mouth uh, that's going to open up an opportunity for us to talk. It could be something as simple as, did you watch that new show, God Friended Me? Do you realize that your talk is being salty? You're giving somebody an opportunity to talk about faith. It could be as simple as in passing and saying, well, yesterday when I was at church, I did this. Or, or to say, uh, you know, I, I'm reading this great book about contentment. You see, and your conversation then can always be opening up opportunities for people to respond and engage in conversation if they choose to. Because we've created the the opportunity. So friends, engaging the community isn't that hard. If we will commit to pray and to portray Christ, then friends, open doors will come. And people will come to know Jesus. So here's the takeaway for today. If you haven't filled out a most wanted list, I want to encourage you to do that. Know that if you, if you filled one out in the past, uh, as of now, we're only praying over the 2019 uh, most wanted list. And so if you uh, haven't filled out one of the white ones, uh, please do so. And then devote yourself to pray for that list, even as the church joins you in praying for those individuals. And then I would just ask you, ask God to open a door for you to share your faith this week. Just ask him, would you open a door for me to share my faith this week and just see what God will do? And then lastly, uh, just be intentional about filling your conversation uh, with grace and salt. Friends, we do that, and we will engage the community. Uh, We're going to close with singing a a song about taking uh, the message to the community called We've a Story to Tell the Nations. It's number 446 in your celebration hymnal.